So we start, um, um, I have this kind of a standalone sermon this morning. The next week we're going to start a brand new sermon series on the book of Acts. But before we get started, I just want to say thank you to the choir. I really appreciated that anthem this morning. Um, that was really good. Uh, the, I, don't, I don't know if they've ever sung that song before. I've sung it before. We have sung that in the church, the Lord, the dance. And, and you know, one of the things I've learned since Sean Pollock has come aboard, I, I really pay attention to the details of the words and listening closely and watching the words. And there was some really good theology in that song. So I really appreciate that this morning. So listen, let me begin by um, reading some uh, different excerpts from the, um, from the Gospels this morning, um, actually three or four from uh, Matthew and John and then also from the Book of Romans. Um, and and as, as this question, is Christianity really just like riding a bike? That's the title of Sermon Day. So from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called the Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were cast in a net into the lake for they were, well, they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they... Well, they just left their nets, and they followed him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. From the Gospel of John, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. From the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So I love this quote. I found this just last week. It came from a, a great uh, ancient theologian, uh, St. Ignatius. And this is what he said. I wish not merely to be called Christian, but also to be Christian. Can you say that with participation power? Let's say this together. I, I wish not merely to be called Christian, but also to be Christian. Okay, so that's a great statement. So then my opening question for us today, so what does it mean to be, to be a Christian? That's a great question, isn't it? So um, I'm watching the news this week, and this particular video footage just caught my attention. The reason why it caught my attention is because it was just off the coast of Hawaii. And, um, I, you know, Don and I have one of our kids actually lives in, Jordan actually lives in Hawaii now, lives in Honolulu. Let me tell you something, that kid's got a really good gig. I just want you to know, he lives there. It's not cheap to live there as he's finding out, but he's teaching school there. And, um, he's just living a dream. Matter of fact, when, when it, we, were, we, had, uh, we were doing FaceTime with us this week and he got a brand new apartment. And I did notice this, in every room he had a new surfboard. I don't want you to know that. Anyway, all right. So, uh, so this, this video caught my attention because it was a, a guy out in a kayak fishing off the coast of Hawaii. So let's take a watch. All right, so here's what I learned from that. Uh, first of all, I told Jordan, do not look, do that. I, I sent him to the minute, please do not go buy a kayak and go fishing. So this is the four thoughts I thought about when I watched that video this week when, um, when it comes to a 20-foot tiger shark actually attacking your kayak. So there are some things in life that you just aren't prepared for. Number two is when the shark attacks you, you have to think quickly on your feet. I don't know if you noticed this, but the guy was actually kicking the shark off the side of his boat. Number three is fishing is just like riding a bicycle until a shark shows up and tries to eat you in your kayak. And number four is you, know, you should just maybe pack it up and go home. And the reason why I put that in there is because this young man actually, he had just caught a fish evidently, and 
he had his GoPro and it happened to continue to run. And so that's the reason why he caught this shark actually attacking his kayak. This actually happened this last week. And so when he got home, he showed the video footage to his wife and she says, well, what did you do after this happened? He says, well, I just kept on fishing. And she basically said, you're an idiot. What were you thinking, right? I, mean, I can't blame her for saying that. So, you know, what's interesting was I was thinking about this, watching this video this last week is um, I was reflected upon a conversation I had with someone. I can't remember who it was. I, I don't even remember exactly what the context was. But it's the same thing I've heard over and over again in my 35 years of being a pastor. And it was something like this. They were going through some kind of crisis and they said to me, you know what, Pastor Harold, I just don't understand how people can go through something tragic, some kind of crisis, some kind of calamity in life without Jesus. And, and here's the reality is that sometimes in life, the sharks show up and, and um, they can devour us. And what I mean by that is sometimes the shark shows up in the form of cancer. Sometimes the, can the shark shows up in losing the death or the death of a loved one. Sometimes um, the shark shows up and dealing with a, well, a family member like your son who struggles with depression and anxiety. Um, sometimes the sharks just show up in life. And, and so um, when I was thinking about that, when it comes to our faith, um, we continue to, once again, we lean on Jesus even when the sharks show up. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, so, so I was reflecting upon that this last week and, and thinking about that. And um, I also found is that sometimes in, in life, and I'm just telling you, I'm, the reason why I showed this opening clip, I can guarantee you that guy has been out there fishing probably from, since he was a kid. Day in, day out, he's out there making a living, catching fish, maybe he's having fun. And, you know, fishing was just like riding a bicycle until all of a sudden the shark shows up. And sometimes I think in our lives, sometimes we can just kind of go through life and we're just kind of cruising through life. And you can say, oh yeah, I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. But is, I wonder if Christianity and being a Christian really should be just like riding a bicycle. And what I, I'm, what I mean by that is, do you remember the first time you rode a bike? I still remember that. I still remember the moment when I first remembered how to ride a bike. I remember my father actually um, decided, you know, um, he wanted to get me a bike. And so this is before Walmart. This is actually before Kmart. You know, you, you just didn't. They, I, so my father found a, he found an old bike on a garbage heap and he pulled it off. And he says, Harold Ray, we're going to work on this and we're going to put this bike together. And so my father, I think I was five or six years old. And he actually, um, we got it off the garbage uh, heap. We went down to the bike store and got a couple of tires that fit it and got some pedals and a handlebar. And then we scraped off the old, old rust paint and then we painted it red. I'm pretty sure back in 1968, the, lead, the paint had a lot of lead in it. That's the reason why I still continue to glow today. And, and so, you know what I mean. And, and so that's the way it was back in 1968. And I remember my father riding behind me, holding the back of the bike as I rode around the back parking lot at Conway United Methodist Church because the parsonage was right next to the church. I still remember that. I remember the thrill of being able to ride a bike for the first time. And what happens is sometimes and when it comes to a Christian, sometimes that, you know, that first initial excitement about being a Christian, well, 
Sometimes the sharks show off and that excitement kind of wears off, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? And you know what the reality is that being a Christian really isn't real. I mean, that's just, it's really not like riding a bike. Being a Christian, um, you know, riding a bike, once you got it, you got it. But then what seems to be important to me is that we realize that maybe being a Christian isn't just like riding a bike. It's something that we have to continue to work on in our lives. Can I amen on that? So I was thinking um, about this this week and I, I was put in perspective about, you know, sometimes we have a chance to maybe forget how to be a Christian, but we're a Christian. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, I preached on the book of James and what did I tell you all? I said, okay, I want you to go get one of those little sticky notes and talk and write in here about taming the tongue and put it in your car. Can I be on that? Do you understand? Do you get it? Sometimes it's easy to forget that I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian. What does that mean? So, you know, I, here's, a, here's a few questions I thought would be really appropriate for this. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a growing Christian? What does it mean to be a deeply committed Christian? What, would Jesus think I'm a Christian? Would others know that I'm a, a Christian? Great questions. I went to, I had um, gone to several memorial services over the last 10 days. And um, I went to a memorial service the other day and I was reflecting, I didn't have to do anything. I just went, I was participating um, as a participant, just as a, a constituent. And it was my, my brother-in-law's father, Leroy, Lee died. Um, so Don and I went over to support my, my brother-in-law, Ryan. I love Ryan and my sister-in-law, Biz. They're just wonderful people. And, um, you know, I've known Leroy um, most of my life. I mean, I met Ryan when I was in high school, and, and we met, you know, we married sisters. And um, his dad died, I think he was like 86, um, a couple of weeks ago, so we went to them. And what was interesting, I was reflecting upon, Ryan did a great job of giving a eulogy about his father, and the preacher got up from the Nazarene church, did a great job of talking about Leroy's life. But you know what's interesting, when you go to a memorial service and you kind of listen to what's going on, you find a whole lot more about the person that maybe you never even knew. So when, you know, the question would come up, was, was Leroy a Christian? Absolutely, Leroy was, he was a Christian, but it seems to me that there was more to Leroy than what I always just kind of perceived about Leroy. I appreciated that. And then after, here's an amazing thing. Is that we had a beautiful service for Leroy. If you ask anybody, you know, absolutely Leroy was a Christian. He believed in Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And then guess what? We went back to the house and we ate potato salad. Can you imagine that? We did do that. And chances are they're gonna do that someday after you're dead and gone. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, so let's break that down for a second. So you know what? Here's the interesting. I can relate to this, and chances are you can relate to this. So when you were a kid, maybe you, um, maybe you accepted Jesus, and you, we use the terminology, I love this, we've accepted Jesus into our heart. Now what's really interesting about, and I would, I've used that terminology, I remember that moment when I was with my father down by my bed, being a little, just a little kid. I just remember my father praying by my bed and I remember asking Jesus in my heart. That was the terminology that maybe my father used for me. But the reality is that's really not 
that's not a phrase that we find in the Bible. You can look at accepting Jesus in your heart. That's not exact. Now, listen, our heart is the center of who we are. It's centered, when you go back and look at the Bible, the heart of who we are is, you know, when you talk about accepting Jesus, so I love the Lord God with all your heart. Okay, but that phrase about accepting Jesus in your heart is actually not found in the Bible. Um, the, you know, the other phrase is that, you know, we find and we use sometimes when you talk about being a Christian is, uh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, well once again, that's another one of those phrases um, that we tend to, see to use when we reflect upon um, asking that question, are you a Christian? And you say, well, yes, absolutely. I've accepted Jesus in my heart and I, you know, I, I, I totally understand that whole idea about um, having a relationship with Jesus. And what I love about that phrase, it, but once again, it's not in the Bible. It's not technically used. And once again, it's implied, you know, because when you think about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I love that old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. Can I amen on that? I mean, and the great, once again, great liturgy, I mean, great uh, words in that, in that old ancient hymn. And it is about looking at Jesus, having, having like a friendship. He's there, right there to walk with us. And so that's important as well. I, so yes, I have accepted Jesus in my heart as a kid. I remember that. And do I have a personal life? Well, yes, I, I do have that, but it's not actually written that way. In the Bible. So let me teach for a second. You know, let me tell you exactly how it's written. And answer that question, are you a Christian? Um, so for John, it means, it, it, to answer that question truthfully, are you a Christian? It has everything to do with the word belief. John's all about belief. Matter of fact, if you go and read and count, there's put the clicker on the word belief. I think it's written like 60 different times in the Gospel of John. And the reason why it's there. It's because, let me give you the background, it's because John is the oldest of all the gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels and, and to be seen together. But John is a little different, as I shared with you all before. So John is about, and he's writing later, he's writing to a later audience. So here's the deal about that is because, you know, people are waiting for Jesus to come back because Jesus says, I'm coming back. Well, hey, we're still waiting. Now, I do believe he's coming back, and amen on that. But it's been 2,000 years, and we're still waiting. But listen, back then, they thought he was like coming back tomorrow. Well, he still hasn't come back. So John is writing to an audience. They were waiting, anticipating for Jesus to come back, but he hadn't come back. And so he wants them to believe, even though they haven't seen him come back yet. Or maybe they didn't see the death and didn't see the resurrection. So they're taking on faith, these words, that this actually happened. So you can believe. And so the essence, the epitome of belief that all comes together in the Gospel of John about this theme. Um, once upon a time, Jesus died. Then he was resurrected. And then he goes to the upper room and he shows up in the upper room. You ready? And everybody's there except Thomas. And they, Thomas, they, when Thomas finally shows up, Jesus is already come and gone. And they go, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. We've actually seen the Lord. He's come back. And then Thomas says, doubt that. I, I, I got to believe it for myself. Says, sure enough, a few days later, 
Up in the upper room, there's Thomas in the upper room with the other disciples and Jesus shows up again. Mysteriously shows up and, and says to specifically to, and this is the way John writes the story. And this is a really important story. Specifically, he calls out Thomas and says, Thomas, come over here and take your finger and slip it into my holes in my hands. And take your fist, the little Greek, take your fist and thrust it into my side. Come on over and see it for yourself. And then Thomas says, he says, my Lord and my God, which elevates Jesus as the highest of high holies of ultimately God. I love that part of the story and what's very powerful. And then what, what does Jesus say as John writes his story? He says, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen but yet still believe. Amen. Now you know the rest of the story. So for, for John to be a Christian, for us to be a Christian, he doesn't describe it about accepting Jesus in our heart. He doesn't describe it as having a personal relationship. For, for John, it's all about believing. Believing what? Well, you know, we think about like believing the idea of Jesus is savior. Uh, that's a great term. I mean, there's, it's, the word savior is actually, I think it's written like 25 different times, but it's implied like 1600 times. Jesus being savior. So we believe what? We believe that Jesus is a good teacher. We believe he was a good person. We believe he was the Messiah. We believe he was a savior. We believe, believe all that. And, and then we also believe, here's the interesting thing. If you look at the scripture lessons, um, that not only was Jesus savior, but he was also what I word, he was the Christ. There's another great term. Uh, the word Christ in the Hebrew and also the Greek means the anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. Matter of fact, when Jesus had that conversation with Peter at Philippi, he says, well, who do they say that I am? And Peter, what does Peter say? You're, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. I, I love that imagery. Anointed one. What, who gets anointed? Kings get anointed, Right? Uh, my, my mom, my mom's here today, and she sent me this picture yesterday. Um, she was watching the uh, King Charles. I don't know if he's the second or third. Um, I lost track. And, and so they crowned him king about a week or so ago. Some of y'all probably watched that. But out of all the things that my mother actually took a picture of, let me show you, here's her picture. And she took a picture, this is off her TV, of King Charles laying his hands on the Bible, because evidently he was taking an oath. So I thought it was really powerful. That's a great image, isn't it? That you have this king who's, who's being crowned, he's being anointed, but he's laying his hands on the Holy Bible that is the embodiment of the story of the King of Kings. Now that's powerful to me. Jesus Christ, you know, what do we, or what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we, we, we believe. We believe he's a savior. We believe that he's the, um, he's the Christos. He's the anointed one. It's mentioned over and over again. He is the 
Here's another word. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The word Lord there literally means like to be lifted up to the highest holy, to the highest height in the Greek. Or, I love that in the, in the Hebrew, Lord. In other words, back then you're, you're talking about a patriarch society that the word Lord meant like you are Lord of your house. If you're the husband and you're the father, you're the Lord of your house. Or if you're the Lord of, the, of a providence, of a community, you were, or the governor or the mayor, you were considered the Lord of that particular um, faceted community. Or if you're Caesar, you were considered the Lord of, well, the Lord of the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, Caesar used to call himself that. He called himself the Lord of Lords. But what we find here is we ask this question, what, do we, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's, it means that we, according to John, it means that we believe that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Christos. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior who's come to redeem us and save us from our sins. Can we amen on that? But for John, it's all about believing. And I love John's opening lines because he says, in the beginning was the word. The word means logos. And I went back and found my, did my detective words there. And the word logos means to a discourse or it means reason or logic. It's, in other words, it's logical to follow Jesus and to believe in Jesus and the idea that God revealing who he is in full disclosure, the word logos. In the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And his name is Jesus. I read this quote this last week. God's own sermon for our lives is found in Jesus Christ. His own word is found in Jesus. He dwelt among us. The word became flesh. It's God's own sermon for our lives. I love that. God's own sermon for our lives. And we call that, here's the theological word, the incarnation. So for John, it's all about for God so over the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever, what? Believeth in, what? In him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what's it mean to be a Christian? For John, it means to believe. Okay, hold on. But for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a little different. It's about following. Let me show you this little video clip. That's one of my favorite video clips from the Bible series. It was done several years ago. So this, this is Jesus recruiting Matthew, or AKA Levi, the tax collector. Here, here, watch it. Let's take a watch. For Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to be a Christian, it means to come and follow Jesus. I mean, think about with Peter, James, and John, what does Jesus do? He just says, hey, listen, come follow me. And he drops, they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. Uh, for Matthew, we just saw this beautiful clip where Matthew's willing to leave it all behind to go and follow Jesus. Matter of fact, as you all have heard me share before, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. So for, to be a Christian, for John, it means to believe in him, but for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it means that we come and follow him. And, and what is the goal for us to be a followers of Jesus? It, 
what it ultimately leads to be leads towards living what we call a, a sanctified life. For Paul talks about that. He talks about being justified, but he also talks about sanctification. And sanctification means that we're on this journey together. And by the way, being a Christian is not always easy to do. It really isn't just like riding a bike, especially when the sharks show up. So I love this idea about the idea when we think about this journey that we're on and the idea of sanctification. And so what Mr. Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church described sanctification, he called it like this journey that we're on, but he says in order to be sanctified, he describes it as being holy. And what's the definition of holiness as a Methodist? It means to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as Mr. Wesley described, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're called to do of being followers of the way. You know, what's interesting is that um, um, I have this uh, Garmin watch, and so I really work hard at trying to be physically fit. And I work out every day, I ran this morning, I run this afternoon, I'll do my, my weights, and I, I'm really am very intentional about trying to eat right, sort of, and, um, but I work out a lot, and, um, and, and so I have this watch, and I thought, you know what's interesting about my watch, and many of you all have a, maybe a similar watch, I have a Garmin watch, but, um, does anybody have one of those Apple watches? You know, okay, there's about 195 million of you all. I want you to know that. Okay, so they've sold 195 Apple watches to this day. And so what's amazing about these watches nowadays, they ultimately tell you, like, not only did they tell you the time, but they tell you all this great information. They tell you how, how many steps you've gone and how many miles you've gone and how many calories you burned and how many, how many flights of stairs you've gone. And it's just amazing the technology that you can find on a watch. So it's, it's almost like a way at the end of the day, and sometimes I'll click on this and it'll tell me how many miles I went, but I'll tell me these steps. And it's a way of me kind of holding myself accountable for my physical activity. And so I started thinking about what is it that maybe we could be due to be able to be, what is it we can hold ourselves accountable in a way that we live a Christian life, right? Because after all, being a Christian is about, according to John, is about believing. And as, uh, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke describes about being a follower of Jesus. So I read this book um, a, few, a couple of years ago, and it's called The Walk. And it was written by Ablin Hamilton. He talks about the five essential practices of a Christian life. And I thought he did a really, really good job about ultimately kind of helping us when we think about holding ourselves accountable. And he thought, first of all, and these five, let me just jump through them real quick, is the idea about worship and prayer. I love that. Like, why are we here today? We've come to worship the Lord. Can we amen on that? I mean, we have beautiful music. We've got the, uh, we got the Holy Word. We got a message today. And we have come to be able to sing praises of God because he is worthy of our praise. And the reason why we come to worship God is we should, in our prayers, we should thank him. Because guess what? When I woke up this morning, I woke up this morning. Can I amen on that? And the first thing that I did is offer a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much for giving me another day. Can amen on that? So the idea of, once again, maybe in our ritual of that we go in every day, that we would spend maybe five different places in our life each and every day that we offer a praise and saying thank you to God. When I wake up in the morning, at breakfast, lunch, supper, before you go to bed, five different hits five different times that we stop and we just say, thank you, Lord. Um, I love that. And then the second part when he talks about is not only about prayer and then worshiping the Lord, but he also talks about study and the idea of gathering together as disciples and growing our relationship with the Lord and studying the word of God. And, and I'll tell you a great example of that. And when it, when it comes to like small groups, and I know that some of you are part of a small group, 
But I will tell you once again, when it comes to the connection that we have in this church, it's really, really powerful. I'll give you an example. This last week, um, my, um, my friend Lee Gerard, who leads a Wednesday Bible, uh, she leads our prayer ministry, and her son, uh, Michael, was killed tragically in a motorcycle accident about a week and a half ago. So we did the memorial service from his last week. And um, so my friend Angelo, who just joined the church, he came up to me during um, their service, and I said, well, Anjo, I said, you know, why are you here? He says, well, Harold, I needed to come. I said, well, did you, how did you know Michael? He says, I didn't know Michael. I said, you didn't know Michael? He says, no, I didn't know Michael. And he says, I was reading the obituary, and, and I noticed that he um, was um, connected with this kind of, it's almost like a, um, um, a humanitarian effort towards horses, and Angela was a part of that kind of same organization, so I noticed it was at my church, so I felt like I needed to come support him and his mother. See, to me, that's beautiful when you think about the idea of being connected through study, but also the connection of our church. Um, so the idea of prayer, the idea of worship, the idea of study, the idea of Christian service, and which again, it's about as what do we think about? Our vision of our church is to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus Christ, and that's outwardly focused, but the idea that we can continue to be inwardly focused on our spiritual journey, so the idea of Christian service. I, I love this quote from Paul. He says, for it is by God's grace you have been saved through the faith that is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God for by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. The word handiwork literally means poetry, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The fourth thing is giving. So I just asked this new brand new class, we support by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And once again, the idea of giving and supporting the ministry that we have here, it's just a beautiful thing to keep it all going. Financially, we, we need your support. It's, a, it's, a, it's, just, it's just the reality that we have a, to keep it all, once again, keep the vision moving forward and the missions forward and keeping the lights on and keeping the staff um, um, prepared and, and working for us. Matter of fact, I'll give you another example. My friend Barb Heimball passed away. She was only 103. And we're gonna have a service for her Saturday. But you know what's a beautiful thing? I got word this last week that she evidently made it very clear to her family, you make sure that you cut the check first to New Covenant United Methodist Church after I die. And she did. So the idea that even, even though she knew that she was gonna die someday, the day came, came a couple of weeks ago, but she wanted to make sure that she took care of her church. What a beautiful legacy. And the last thing has to do with sharing and has to do with sharing our love for Jesus Christ with someone else. And so once again, the idea of worshiping and praying and giving and sharing and just telling somebody, what if we made it intentional like five times out of the next year, over the next year, you take the commitment, you invite somebody to come and be a part of our church. You intentionally invite somebody five times in the next, make it, make it a goal in your life to invite someone to come and be a part of this wonderful church that we are so blessed to have. Don't we have a beautiful church? Can I amen on that? We are so blessed to have this fantastic church and don't we want other people to know Jesus and we want people not only to know Jesus, we want them to come and be a part of a church, but we want them to know that they can be a Christian. We want them to know that they can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want them to believe. We want them to be followers of the way. Because here's the reality. And we all know it. Every once in a while in life, sharks show up. And let me tell you something, when the shark shows up, 
I want Jesus in my boat. I don't know about you, but I want him in my boat. So let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Do you want to be a Christian? Christian? 